Amen. The kids' church can be dismissed if they haven't already escaped. Amen. Ages 2 to 8, if you have anyone you want to donate to the back for an hour, amen, you can uh, do that. Amen. As we're saying, we go to the word of the Lord today. Second uh, Samuel, the 11th chapter. Amen. The word of the Lord says, David sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When David, or when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did, how the war prospered. David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house. There followed him a mess of meat from the king. Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. When they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said to Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then did thou not go into thine house? And Uriah said to David, The ark, Israel, Judah, they abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go into mine house and eat and drink and lie with my wife as thou livest? As thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. David said to Uriah, Tarry here a day or so also. Tomorrow I'll let thee depart. Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and tomorrow. When David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk, and had even went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab. And he said by the hand of Uriah, and he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, retreat from him, and he may be smitten and die. What a horrible account here. The darkest times of David's life. Amen. But I want to preach to you today from this title, Called to Carry. Called to carry. Turn to a few people and greet them in the name of the Lord as you're seated today. The year was 490 BC. King Darius of Persia wanted to expand his kingdom, and he was in the middle of that, trying to expand it as if uh, your empire wasn't big enough that they fight to expand the kingdom. So King Darius of Persia was doing this at this time. Do you remember who was the queen of Persia? Esther. Esther was the queen of Persia. Not that she was involved in any of this, but it's just kind of it's interesting uh, how the Bible is tied into history, amen, and, and God has his people in the right place. Uh, and so uh, around 514 B.C., Esther becomes queen of Persia, uh, uh, married to King Darius, and she saves the nation of Israel from extinction. But about 25 years later, here at 490 B.C., King Darius decided that it was time for Greece to be conquered and to serve the Persians. And the Persian army landed on the beaches of the Greek town of Marathon. And having received this news, Athens had to send word to its other city-states to have them all send reinforcements to help fight off the world's most powerful army just landed on our beaches. Athens would have loved to have an iPhone and just connect to the other kings in a matter of seconds, but they weren't blessed like we are blessed. And if they wanted to send a message, they had to send a messenger to deliver that message. Athens chose a man named Pheidippides, and he was to, his message, his mission was, he was to go to Sparta, Greece's strongest army, and deliver the message that the Persians have arrived at our beaches. But the only problem was, was that Sparta was 153 miles from Athens, 
Pheidippides knew the urgency of the message. He knew that this is what he was called to do. And it's not time to ask for my input or it's not time to debate and, and let you know what my, my feelings are about this mission. I have been called and I have been chosen because it's not about me, it's about what my king needs. It's about the kingdom. And as he ran as fast as he could, 153 miles away, he arrived in Sparta, believe it or not, the next day. Run 150 miles in a day and a half. And I'm going, I'm on 38 years, and I still got a ways to go. A day and a half, 150 miles, 36 hours. Pheidippides ran, and he tells Sparta the news, and Sparta says, sorry, we're in the middle of a religious festival, so we can't help right now, but maybe in about 10 days or so, whenever the new moon shows up, then we can come and be released from our religious uh, festival. And so Pheidippides did what he was called to do, deliver this message to the king of Sparta. And so Pheidippides turns and he heads back to Athens to carry this message back in return. Got a, I, I ran a day and a half, 150 miles to deliver this important message. And I get there and he says he can't help. And so what do I got to do? I got to go back 153 miles back to Athens to deliver this message. And, and time is of the essence because, again, the, the, the Persian army is at our beaches. And so it's not like I can take the, the scenic route back home or, or I can uh, take my time getting back. No, there's, there's an urgency in the matter because uh, I've got to get these news back to the king, back to Athens so they can figure out what they must do. And so he reaches uh, Athens. He tells them the, the, the sad news. Uh, and so and then he is sent to Marathon to provide information and updates on the battlefield. And when the Greeks had defeated the Persians, the Greeks won. They didn't need the Spartans' help this time. Uh, they, they held back and they, they pushed back the Persians and they defeated them at the Battle of Marathon. And guess who was chosen to deliver the news, the good news? It was Phidippides. And so he ran from Marathon to Athens. Anyone guess how long that might have been, what the distance of that might be? About 26 miles or so from Marathon to Athens. And when he reached Athens, he delivered the good news. Rejoice, because we have conquered. And then he collapsed and died. He gave his life to what he was called to do. Simply to just deliver a message. Nothing more, nothing less. Because a message was placed in his hands and he was told to go deliver the message. And it isn't time to talk about it or there wasn't time to bring up all that, all the what ifs. Or, or what, if the, what if it rains while I'm running? What if it snows? Or what if wild animals chase after me? Or what if the recipient rejects the message? What if something happens unexpectedly on this 153-mile journey that I have to run by myself? Here is the mission, Phidippides. Go, give it your all. Go, deliver the message because we are counting on you. The, the kingdom of Greece is counting on you, Phidippides. And they may not seem like a very important person. Not much fame and glory and being just a simple messenger. But a messenger was absolutely critical in the kingdom. They were the ones who had life and death in their hands. They were the ones who could bring uh, a message of hope or a message of despair. It, their message could bring pain and sorrow or it could bring great rejoicing. This power was simply found in the hands of the one who was called to carry. And I know that we, we transmit messages much quicker today and 
We don't need day runners to run 150 miles for us. We don't need carrier pigeons, and we don't even have the time for a, a rotary phone any longer because within one second, our phones can connect to somebody across the world. And with a, within a split second, we can have 100 million websites waiting for us to click on them to provide us the answer to our questions. But in a world where information and messages are transmitted in milliseconds, messages come and go, and uh, the importance of a message and the value of the messenger are all but lost today. What great kings of the world would pace the floor and anxiously waiting to hear back from their messenger, we glance at our phone and read the text message and move on to what we were doing without basically giving it another thought. But need I remind you that there is still a message that brings hope. That there is still a message that can change and transform the life of the one who receives it and believes it. And that is a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried in the tomb. But three days later, he came walking out of the grave. And that gospel that carried him out had carries the same power and it can impact your life just as well. Romans 1 and 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Everyone that believes the gospel can experience the power that resides inside that message. And if you hear it and you believe it, then you can die out to your sins. And if you are buried with him in the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, that you will receive his spirit that will resurrect your life and give you a new life in Christ Jesus. All because you heard a message. All because you heard something and you responded to it. How valuable, how valuable is that message that you heard? How are you thankful that you heard that message? Aren't you thankful that somebody said, hey, I'm called to deliver a message. It's not about me. It's not about my will. It's about the kingdom. And I am called to carry a message. How valuable that message is to you and I. How valuable is that message to the backsliders? How valuable is that message to those that are lost? It's a life-changing message. It's priceless. And in its most basic form, it's just a message. But it's really more than that. The rich people of the world, the intellectuals, the, the politicians, the elite, they look at you and I gathering here on Sundays and Thursdays and whatever days we gather. And to them, we're just ignorant and foolish people. Just ignorant and foolish people. They don't know any better. Gathering around, listening to the preacher, the guy with the microphone, deliver some message. And they don't understand why we keep coming back. They don't understand why we keep coming back and why we put God first in our lives. Why we put him above our family and friends. They don't understand why we put him above this world and we put him above the government. And, and that's what bothers them the most. Is that our lives are governed by the word of God and not by the laws that they pass. And truthfully, it scares them to death. Because they would not lay down their life for a book with a message in it. And so they don't understand why we would do that. And the fact that you and I would do that scares them. That's why they have tried and will continue to try to ban things and outlaw things and, and pass laws where you cannot say this or you cannot preach this. Or, or if you reference the Bible or whatever, they, uh, it, it's going to be considered hate speech. It's already happened in other countries and it's, and it's on its way here, if not already here. And they, the, 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 the way they do it is they label us as extremists, terrorists. 
terrorists because we believe in the Bible. Because we believe in what it says and it preaches a different message than they like and, and they want to create their own acceptance. And, and But we adhere to the word of God. And it's common, folks, because uh, the church is not target number one, but we're close behind whoever's number one. Uh, the pressure is already being applied. We are seeing more and more churches, quote-unquote churches, embracing the LBGT lifestyle as normal and okay. The pressure is here. The pressure is coming to accept their message instead of the message. And let me be clear, we don't hate anybody because we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's not the person that God hates. It's the sin that God hates. And it doesn't matter what sin it is. Sin is sin in God's eyes. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that is part of the message. That we have all sinned. Everybody's messed up. There's no one better than the other. We are all sinners saved by grace. But and that is part of the message. But there is still hope. Because 1 Corinthians 6 says, And such were some of you. But now you are washed. You are sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. Our lives have been transformed by the message. And the world does not get it and understand it, and they think it's all foolishness. Some message. First Corinthians 1 and 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Waste your time talking about a cross and somebody dying on a cross. That's just foolishness to those that perish. You're, you're, you're wasting your time with some guy's words. You could be out doing better things with your Sunday. You could be out making more money or you could be out on a boat or you could be out shopping or you could be out doing anything. Instead, you're here at church and in their eyes it's nothing but foolishness. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but not for us. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. This isn't foolishness to us. It's worth my time. This message is worth my drive. It's worth my day. It's worth me getting up early for. It's not foolishness. It is the power of God. We don't just get together to make some noise. We get together to sing praises. We get together to worship God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not foolishness to us. It is the power of God because it's more than just a message. It's more than just a message that we carry because Hebrews tells us the word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even dividing the sunder, the soul, the spirit, the joint, and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is power here because of the message. There is power here when we get in his presence, power to heal, power to deliver somebody, power to, to, to break the chains of addiction and bondage, and power to cleanse and to make you whole again. Because to us, it's not foolishness. To us, the message is the power of God. And so while this world points and laughs and criticizes and judges, laughs at this foolishness, we are over here having our sins washed away. We're over here being in the power and the presence of Almighty God. We're having His Spirit move among us and through us. And we feel the healing virtue of God flowing through our midst. And they can mock all that they want, but I'm going to keep showing up. They can laugh all they want, but I'm going to keep on grasping. I'm going to keep on reaching. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on looking for my miracle. Because my miracle is not going to be found in the halls of Congress. My miracle is not going to be found in the best hospital or in a government program or some kind of government paycheck. Uh, no, it's only found in God's presence. And, and laugh all you want, world. Mock all you want, world. But go ahead and say it's foolishness. But I'm going to keep putting my faith in his word. I'm going to keep putting my faith in his presence and in a life-saving message of the gospel. Because it's more than just a message. 
It has cleansed my soul. It has washed my past mistakes away. It has blotted out my sins and my transgressions. It, it has given me hope for the future. It has given me peace for now. It has given me joy to sustain me. It's given me an eternity where I'll never die. Will have no more pain or no more sorrow or no more tears. All from this message that I received. And if you think that there are no more fidelities, then you are wrong. Because how did you hear of such of a transforming message? How did you hear of such a life-transforming message? Somebody delivered it. Somebody was called upon to carry that message to somebody else. Somebody said, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll deliver that message. Romans 10 tells us, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How beautiful are the feet of them that carry the message, that carry it 26 miles, or carry it 153 miles, or carry the message however far they go. I'm not here to pat myself on the back or exalt anyone who gets behind the pulpit because we are all preachers. We are all preachers of the gospel. We are all called to deliver this same message, this same life-changing message. You may not be called to get behind the pulpit, but you are called to carry the same message to your friends and your family members and your neighbors and your community. Because you can reach people that this microphone cannot reach. You can reach people that this microphone does not reach. We may deliver the message to a hundred, but you can deliver the message to thousands every single week. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. You heard the message, you believe the message, and you've been transformed by the message. And now you are called to deliver that message to somebody else. Because freely have we received, and so freely we need to give it to somebody else because I didn't pay for it, and by God's grace I came and I heard it, and I believed it, and I grabbed the hold of that life-saving and life-changing message. And so God has called me. Since I have, my life has been impacted and your life has been impacted by it, he's called us to give that message to somebody else. So we're called to give that message, to carry it. We're not called or told to worry about their response. That gets us, that stops us a lot of times. Oh, what are they going to say? We're not called, that's not of our business. We're called just to deliver the message. If they receive it, that's great. If they don't, that's on them. That we don't, we're not, as messengers, we are not to be worried about the recipient. We just got to be worried that we give the message. What they do with the message is on them. If they think it's foolishness, then that's their choice. The only thing that we can do is deliver the message. We can't make them believe it. We can't make them repent. We can't make them get baptized. The only thing that we can do is deliver the message and pray that they receive it openly. And that God would work in their lives and continue to work in them and continue praying for them. That God would continue to stir them once they've heard the message. That he'll never leave them alone. That he'll bug them. He'll, he'll wake them up in the middle of the night and make them uncomfortable and, and, and uncertain about things until they get into his presence. That's what God does. At least that's what he did with me. He wouldn't leave me alone until I got here. And I'm thankful that he didn't forsake me. I'm thankful that he didn't leave me out there. I'm thankful that he gave me another chance to hear the message and to believe the message and to preach the message. So all we are called to do is just deliver the message. Don't kill the messenger, as they say. How do you think that saying came about? They didn't like the message, they killed the messenger. It's part of the duty. Mark 6, 11 says, Whosoever shall not receive you, 
nor hear you when you depart thence. Shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. What people don't realize is it's more than a message. It's more than a message. However foolish it may seem and sound, one thing is for sure that that small little message bears the weight of eternity in it. And we are called to carry it to the whole world. And I've been looking, but I've had trouble trying to locate it. But I'm trying to find where my thoughts, my feelings, and my opinions matter in this transmission of the message. I can't seem to find any verses that support it, but maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. But I, all I have found is that uh, a servant, as a servant, my opinion really doesn't matter. My opinion really doesn't matter in all this. The king asked me to deliver a message. That's it. My, as a servant, my feelings really don't matter. As one that is called to deliver a message... Nowhere does it say, hey, Phil, what are your thoughts on all this? What are your plans? What would you like to do? I know it's not your kingdom, but what would you like to do? How would you run things? You're a smart guy. At least that's what I tell myself. You may think that's foolishness, but I like hearing that message. Phidippides, what are, what are your thoughts on all this? My Lord, my King, I'm just a messenger. I'm just here to serve at your pleasure. I'm just here to bring you glory, king. It's not about me or my thoughts. If you tell me to run to Sparta, I will, because my king asked me to. Sure, I'd much rather run to Marathon, but my thoughts and my feelings, are, they're not in, in play here. There is a message that, that has to be delivered, and, and what the king needs is, is not more thoughts and opinions on how to run the kingdom. Uh, all the king needs is somebody that will, that will put aside their feelings and put aside their wants and put aside their cares and desires. Someone will silence their own opinions and just deliver the message at whatever cost. When we interject our thoughts and our opinions and uh, our feelings, we interfere with the transmission of the message. Because it's not our message. It's not our, our kingdom. It's not, we have no say in who it's going to or, or whatever. We're just there to transmit the message. Because our thoughts can say, I don't think it should be said like this. Or I feel like this is what is best. And at what point is the messenger or servant called upon to express their thoughts or feelings about it? In fact, when we do interject, when we do speak up and, uh, and, and our, uh, speak up our voice and offer our unsolicited advice, it usually doesn't work out too well. Then if we had just held our tongue and said, hey, I'm just here to deliver a message. A man by the name of Jonah was given a message. It wasn't a three-hour sermon. Seven words was the message. Seven words. Jonah, I got seven words. Can you deliver them for me? Sure. Who is the recipient of the message? Nineveh. Oh. Mm, Nineveh, huh? The message was 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah, I need you to deliver that message to Nineveh. And, and you know the story. You know what happened. Jonah's thoughts and feelings kind of got in, intervened, didn't it? His thoughts and feelings about the message and its intended recipients got in the way. And Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not going to those wicked people. They deserve to die. They deserve judgment of God. I don't like those people. and Therefore, I'm not going to deliver this message. I'm not going to deliver it because I hope Nineveh is overthrown. I hope that they are, they, because they are some sick and wicked people and they deserve to be wiped out. That's Jonah's his own thoughts. Why do you think he didn't go? 
I'm going to go in the opposite direction instead. After a few long, hard days to think about it, uh, Jonah finally let, his, let go of his thoughts and feelings, and he said, okay, Lord, I'll deliver the message. And Jonah, chapter 3, he says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even unto the least of them. And it goes on to say how the king called, and they, they all repented. The entire city of Nineveh repented uh, of their wickedness, and God spared them. That is what Jonah did not want to see happen. He did not want to see them repent of their sins because Jonah knew that if they repent, God is going to forgive them. And those people don't deserve forgiveness. As wicked as they are, they deserve to be overthrown. Even, even the most wicked city around, God still says, I'm going to give them a chance. I'm going to give them an opportunity to, to repent before my judgment comes. I'm going to give them a chance. I, I know that they don't deserve it. I know how wicked and sinful they are. But in my grace and mercy, I'm going to send them a message. I'm going to say that you need to repent. And what they do with that message is up to them. But at least they need to hear the message. If they believe it and receive it, then I'll forgive their sins. If they reject it as foolishness, then it's not going to be good for them. All God needs us to do is to deliver a message. That's it. Nineveh had revival because someone said, I'll go. I'll deliver that message. I'll put my feelings aside because it's not about me. It's not about my opinions. The king has a message that he wants to deliver. And who am I to interject myself or my thoughts in the middle of the king and what he wants to do? That is all that I'm called to do is just deliver a message. Nothing more, nothing less. Because the power is in the message. Not in the messenger. God uses the messenger to deliver the message. But if you just deliver the message, I'll do the rest. I just need somebody to deliver it. I can convict their hearts and I can draw them with my spirit and I can, I can work on them. But I just need somebody that will put aside their thoughts and feelings and, and will just deliver the message that I have for them. Musicians, if you would come. Our text was during the darkest times, the lowest points in David's life. He was where he should not have been, the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been out on the battlefield where the other kings were fighting. But he relinquished his responsibilities and he stayed home and he got in trouble. There he saw Bathsheba and David allowed his lust to get the better of him. And now come to find out that Bathsheba is pregnant and, and David is panicking and he connives this plan, this evil, wicked plan to bring Bathsheba's husband Uriah back home from battle to try to comfort up. Uriah, by the way, was one of David's 30 mighty men. Of all the mighty men that David had, Uriah made it to the top 30. He was a, he was a great warrior. Uriah the Hittite. And so David's plan is unfolding here. Chapter 11, verse 8, And David said unto Uriah, Go down to thy house, wash thy feet. You've been in battle, you need rest. Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and he went not down to his house. 
he slept with the servants because he was just a servant. I'm just here for my Lord. And when David, they told David, saying, Uriah went not into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not for thy journey? When thou, why then didst thou not go into thine house? And Uriah said, The ark, Israel, and Judah, they all abide in tents, and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife as thou livest? And as thou so livest, I will not do this thing. I can't go to the comforts of my home because the ark and, and Israel and Judah, they're, they're all out fighting for the kingdom. Uh, for the kingdom. And if, if they don't get to sleep in their home, then neither do I because we're all just servants in the kingdom. And if they don't get that privilege, then I don't, I'm not going to take that privilege. I'm no better than them. We're all serving together in the kingdom. And we don't have the time to let my personal desires and my opinions get involved, and we're at war. we gotta, we got to stay focused on, on what the, the mission is on the, on the kingdom. And, and I should be fighting on the battlefield with everyone else. That's what Uriah's thoughts were. So David tried to interfere again. David said to Uriah, Terry, here you got a day also, and tomorrow I'll let thee depart. Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day, and the morrow that David called him, and he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. Uriah, even in his drunkenness, was more righteous than King David. Even in his drunkenness, was more righteous than King David here. What a horrible mark against the giant slayer. What a horrible scar on his reputation as a man after God's own heart and after all the great things that David had done for God. What a horrible time in his life where he is orchestrating the murder of one of his mighty men because he let lust get a hold of him. See, you can kill giants, but if you can't conquer your own lusts, your lusts will lead you to lose it all. It's, it's great to kill giants in the battlefield in front of everyone, but where the real battle is is when you're at home and the lusts come after you. That's where the real battle is. That's where the real fight is. You can defeat all the giants you want, but if you lose out to the lust and temptation in your own life, you can lose it all. It's what we learn here from David. Stand with me today. So when it came to pass in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, sent it by the hand of Uriah. And in that letter, he said, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. Retreat from him that he may be smitten and die. Got a letter for Joab. I need somebody to deliver it. Uriah, will you deliver this for me? My servant, will you deliver this letter for me? I'm sending you back to the battlefield, Uriah. Appreciate all your hard work. Great, a great man, great warrior. You've served me well. I've got one more mission for you. This to Joab. Will you do that for me? Yes, my Lord. Yes, my Lord. Whatever the king asks of me, I will go. I will do it. Uriah, do you want to know what's in here? No, Lord. Doesn't concern me. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a servant. I'm just called to carry the, the letter that you want. That's all. My thoughts don't matter. My feelings don't matter. What I have to say doesn't matter. I'm just a vessel. And the king has called upon me to deliver a message. I will deliver that message to Joab for you, my lord. And so Uriah was called upon by his king 
to carry in his hand his own death sentence. Had this letter never made it, had he dropped it along the way, had he pulled over and read it and said, I'm not delivering this, he may have lived. But he says, who am I to open this? It's not my opinions don't matter. I'm just a messenger. I'm just called to carry the message. And I don't know what's in here. But all I know is that the king needs me to deliver this. The king needs to get this to somebody else. And Uriah ran as fast as he could to get that letter to Joab. Because the king asked him to. And so Joab unrolls the letter. He's reading it, and he looks up at Uriah with that look, that look of betrayal. As Uriah is catching his breath because he ran as fast as he could because the king said, hey, I need this message. Uriah, did you read this? No, sir, I'm just a messenger. It's not for me to get involved. With the king's business, I'm just his servant. Who am I? Whatever my thoughts and our feelings are, they're not going to change what's on that letter, is it? No. Because the king wrote this. I'm just a servant. And so you know what happened. Joab obeyed the king's orders. And Uriah the Hittite was killed. Whatever my king has requested, I will do it. I'll give my all for the king. If my king asks me to lay down my life for the kingdom, I serve at the pleasure of the king. I serve for his glory. It's not for me. It's not about my glory. It's not about my popularity. It's not about my wants or my desires. It's about the king. It's about his desires. It's about his kingdom. It's not my kingdom. I'm just a messenger that is called to carry. And as believers and disciples of Jesus Christ, we too are called to deliver the message of the gospel. But we are also called to carry something else. Matthew 26, then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. As the servant of Jesus Christ, we've got two hands, and in one hand we've got the gospel. And in the other hand should be our cross. There's no, really, there's no room for anything else, is there? The message and my cross. I've only got two hands, Lord. These are the only two things you want me to carry? Yes. No room for my desires. No room for my feelings or thoughts. I'm just a servant that is called to carry a message from my king. The Lord will the, the world will laugh at me, but I'm called to carry it. The world thinks that this is foolishness. Who's going to pick up a cross and follow? But I'm called to carry. People will say and do things that will probably hurt my feelings and hurt my pride and, and cause me pain and heartache. But as a servant of God, as a servant of the king, I can't let those things get in the way of me delivering my message. I can't let those things get in the way of my calling and of my mission because my king has called upon me to carry his message. And I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. I'm going to give my all because my king asked me to do it. I'm going to give my all because my king asked me to deliver a message. Open up these altars today with this verse. Isaiah 6 and 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, Lord. Here am I, send me, God. 
I don't know what it all entails. I don't know what the journey is, God, but you're calling me, and I'm going to answer the call. I want to respond to the call. I want to carry the message that you've given me. If you feel called of God, you want to come down and seek his face. Get into his presence and say, God, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, not to get distracted. Help me, Lord, not to, to worry about what's going on around me, God, but I'm called of you. I'm called to deliver the message. I'm called to preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, it's not about my will, Lord. Let your will be done. Come on, let's come. Let's come and worship the King. He's called us all for such a time as this. God, help me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, if I've been distracted. Forgive me, Lord, if I've allowed my cares and my wants to get in the way of what you want, Jesus. As of God, we are called, called to the ministry, called to deliver this message. And I know we all have our own personal thoughts and feelings on that, but there's no room for that in God's kingdom. Because it's his will that needs to be done. 
And so we are called here in Fort Myers as this, as this body right now presently. And so I wonder if, as we close out the service, I wonder if you could just bind together with somebody and just pray for them that, that God would use them mightily, that, that God would use them, God, to reach somebody, that the anointing would fall upon them, that they would speak with boldness and stand for righteousness in these last days. Because we need each other in this time. We need each other. We have, this is all we have is one another. Come on, let's bind together and pray, Lord Jesus. God, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister. Lord, that you are called them, God. Such a time as this. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ over their minds, their parts, their bodies. God, strengthen them in this time. Give them the courage to stand for righteousness. God, the boldness to speak your truth. Hallelujah. Help them to reach souls. Help them to preach the gospel. To deliver the message. We find them why? Because we're going forward in victory. God has promised us victory. Help us. Where two or three are gathered, Lord, you are here in the midst. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. The, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Hallelujah. We're going to see revival. We're going to lift each other up. We're going to pray for one another. Our brothers and sisters, you can do it. Keep on fighting. Keep on praying. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let your will be done. We believe it. We receive it. Jesus' name. Go and deliver the message.